We have two scripture readings this morning. The second one is found on the very front of your bulletin. But first we turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find this on page 884. Luke 24, starting in verse 1, where we have one of the resurrection accounts. Let's give our attention to the reason we celebrate this morning. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Then on the front of your worship guide, John chapter 13 verse 1, speaking of Christ, says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray once again that you would draw near to us in these moments and that you would be our teacher. We know that your word always speaks perfectly, but we don't always hear perfectly. So would you, Lord, meet with us in this time by the power of your spirit, that we might move beyond the mere occasion to find true and lasting celebration as we encounter the risen Christ. We ask it all in his perfect name. Amen. John 13 verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. A strange question perhaps, but I wonder if you've ever thought about what you might like your epitaph to be. Those words that they'll inscribe on your gravestone when your time has come. How would you sum up your life? How would you want to be remembered? Bear in mind you don't have much space, uh, not much more than 140 characters, but you certainly want it to be better than the average tweet. And so uh, here are some ideas to get the juices flowing. From Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. His cruel assassination was the gateway to eternal liberation. And so everyone would know it. Those words were etched on his tomb. Less famously, Ludolf van Kuhlen. Ever heard of him? 
Yep, I'd never heard of him either. Well, he was a Dutch mathematician who was the first uh, to uh, calculate pi to 35 digits. And so if you were to visit his grave today, you would see his name and then 3.14. 592-653-589-793-238-846-332-795-0288. Just as well, he only made it to 35 digits. Um, He would have needed a larger tombstone had he got further. Or consider this one from an anonymous grave in Thurmont, Maryland. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up with no place to go. When C.S. Lewis heard of that inscription, he reportedly replied, I bet he wishes it were so. Or lastly, how about Irish comedian Spike Milligan? If you go to visit his grave in Winchelsea, England, you will read six simple words. I told you I was ill. I'm not sure what my epitaph will be. Perhaps you don't know what yours will be either. Hopefully we all have time yet to figure it out. But if Jesus had an epitaph, a summation of his life, a way in which he wanted to be remembered, well, this verse would be a strong contender. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We could etch these words in stone because they tell us Three beautiful things about the love of Christ. First, that Jesus loves us in this life. Second, that Jesus loves us as we are. And third, that Jesus loves us to the end. He loves us in this life. He loves us as we are and he loves us to the end. Let's look at these three things together from our text. First, Jesus loves us in this life. Rosaria Butterfield once said, We may never know the treacherous journey people have taken to land in the pew next to us. And how true that is this morning. We are all here, but none of us got here the same way. And even now, our lives are are very different. Some of us are happy and, and doing really well. Some of us are struggling and maybe near despair. Some of us probably aren't all that sure why we're here. Everything all seems a little up in the air. But whatever brought you here this morning, and wherever you find yourself this morning, Jesus cares about your life. You are deeply loved by Christ. We're reminded of this, of course, as our verse opens. The executive summary of Christ's life, captured in four simple words, having loved his own. Of course, these words refer first to his original disciples, those men and women with whom he shared life while he walked here on earth. He loved them and he loved them well. Consider just a few examples. First of all, he befriended them. Jesus, of course, being God, could have rubbed shoulders with the elite, with the intellectual, social, or financial powerhouses of the day. Yet in love, he passed by the stars, he passed by the kings, he passed by the professors in order to set his love upon a ragtag collection of men and women who could give him nothing in return. And then he walked with them in faithful friendship. In friendship, secondly, he taught them. Speaking to them with 
tender simplicity, bringing them along like a mother brings her wee ones along, teaching them everything that they needed to know for this life and the next. Not only did he teach them, but thirdly, he served them. Jesus is the one who led and loved by serving. He fed them. He washed them. He healed them. And who knows how many other quiet acts of kindness have gone unrecorded. He cared about them in these practical ways. Fourth though, Jesus also corrected them. One of the things I love about Jesus is that if something needed to be said, Jesus said it. He was kind, but he was courageous too. And so he rebuked demons. And he rebuked Pharisees. And he rebuked his disciples if it's what they needed to hear. In love he spoke truth, if that's what would serve them best. Not only that, but fifthly, he he prayed for them. Jesus is the one who anticipated danger, and before his disciples even knew about it, provided a refuge for them in prayer. My favorite example is the encounter with Simon, when he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Simon didn't even know there was a fire. And Jesus had already put it out. He's proactive in his care of his own. Lastly, he encourages them. When things went wrong or life got hard, Jesus was there. With Mary and Martha in their tears, with all the disciples in their fears. He came alongside them. He was kindness through and through. Interacting with them made you hopeful, made you bold, made you smile. We could go on and on, of course, giving example after example, but the point is simply this. Jesus loved his own in big ways and in small. To the nuance and the detail, he cared about them all. And I think Jesus would have us understand this morning that the love he gave to them, he also gives to us. Yes, this applied to his first disciples, but it also applies to us today. Jesus came to love. Love he did, but love he still does. The love of Christ has not grown dim as time's worn on. As we remember this story, we remember that this story is our own. And that he's not far from you this morning. Even if he might feel distant or disconnected. He's not far from you this morning. He cares about your life. Your work, your kids, your finances, your health. All the nuance and detail. He'll walk beside you in it. Because Jesus loves us in this life. Well, to add some depth to this point, to let it sink in a little more, let's look at our second point. Yes, Jesus loves us in this life, but secondly, Jesus also loves us as we are. Acceptance of the love of Christ is often for us a little vague, um, a little general, ultimately kind of impersonal. So we might accept that Jesus loves the world. Or we might accept that he loves the church and certainly the Billy Graham types and maybe even the person sitting next to us. But as for the fact that the Lord loves you exactly as as you are, with all our mediocrity, with all our fears and failures, with all our skeletons and warts, well, that's just 
harder to accept and it's harder for that truth to sink in. But scripture tells us that Jesus loves us exactly as we are. And it draws our attention to this fact in this verse when it tells us that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. Now, we wouldn't find it surprising if it said that Jesus loved his own who were in heaven. Think of those who are there right now. Maybe think specifically of loved ones you have lost who had faith in him. Gathered in his presence in this very moment, at this very second, they have been made perfect. They are clothed in in white robes. They are worshipping with palm branches in their hands. The gospel has made them fully human. Everything they were ever intended to be. They stand with him in perfection forevermore. And so, of course he loves them. They've been made lovable. It wouldn't surprise us if it said that he loves those who are in heaven. What's surprising is that he loves us still here on earth. In this world. See, heaven might be the end of the gospel, but that's not where it begins. That might be where his love takes you. But he begins his love for you here in this earth, in this world, just as we are. And again, of course, we see this with his first disciples. Jesus loved James. Do you remember James? He was the one whose pride was so much bigger than he knew. So wrapped up in ego, so self-impressed, he thought a special place should be reserved for him in heaven. So clean around the edges that he fell into great hubris. Well, this James, Jesus, loved. And he loved Peter, whose heart was so much bigger than his brain. Who always acted without thinking. Who lurched from mistake into error. Who went from one gaff to another. Who was messy around the edges and even messier within. Well, this Peter, Jesus loved. And he loved Philip. I love this example too. Philip who just didn't get it. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He had a front row seat to miracles. He had first-hand experience of his majesty. And yet Jesus would still have to turn to him and say, Philip, do you still not know me? He was garmless in the moment. He was glacet through and through. And yet this Philip, Jesus loved warts and all. James, the good. Peter, the bad. Philip, the ugly. Jesus loved them Absolutely. Not for what they might become or for what they might one day do for him, but simply as they were right now, Jesus loved them through and through. And again, we have to understand that the same is true today. Apparently, God just doesn't care who he loves. He's not that careful about whom he loves, be it corporate executives or homeless people, be it superstars or nobodies. Be it the upright or the prostitute. Jesus loves them all. Be it those who are riding high, those who are mired in failed dreams, those who find themselves in mundane mediocrity, somehow trapped in between. Jesus loves us as we are. Do you believe that Jesus loves you right now? Whether you're good, bad, ugly, or a combination of them all.
Do you believe that Jesus loves you as you are? If you don't, then let me tell you, you are wrong. You are wrong. Because he loves us as he finds us. He loves us as we are, not as we ought to be. Which is good news for you, and it's good news for me. Because none of us is perfect. From the pulpit to the pews. Um, What do you call three pastors who've been pulled over by the police? It sounds like a start of a joke, but the answer answer is actually James, David, and Bill. Okay? (laughs) And get this. We were on our way to teach officers, elders, and deacons about what it means to be a part of the church. The irony of that. Okay? Driving along, and we see the blue flashing lights. Okay? Over to the side, we pull... Uh, officer informs us we were speeding and he leaves with license and registration. I kid you not, the timing was uncanny. While we're sitting there, lights flashing in the back, I get a text from my wife Rosie and she says, you guys getting on okay, right? (laughs) I did not reply, okay? (laughs) Then I had to wrestle my phone back from David because he was trying to take a selfie with the blue flashing lights in the back. Officer came back and, you know, $100 later, we're back, back on the road. Now, what are you all wondering? Who's driving? <laughs> well, that would be me. <laughs> In this case, I was bad, and I'll let you decide who was good and ugly. <laughs> a small reminder of my sin, and a very small one at that. I've done much worse than that this week. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have. None of us is perfect from the pulpit to the pews. And the point is, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference to his love. This morning, you may have failed him. You may have ignored him. You may have denied him. And it makes no difference to his love. He loves you all the same. Your goodness, your badness, your ugliness are of no account. They're irrelevant to the case because Jesus loves you as you are. Because he loves us by his grace. So grace is like whiskey. This is what you get with a Scottish pastor. Okay. Grace is like whiskey. You must never add anything to it. (laughs) No water, no ice, and please, Lord, no cola. Right? You are killing me. You are killing me. Your meddling serves only to make it worse. Well, in the same way, friends, the love of Christ distilled from all eternity and poured out for you today has to be drunk straight. If you use your goodness to try and earn it, if you think your badness might have forfeited it, if you think your ugliness distances you from it, then my friend, you are wrong. Because he loves us as we are. Believe it this morning. Believe it because it's true. He doesn't just love the world or the church, Billy Graham, or the person sitting in the pew beside you. He loves you, and he loves you as you are. So first, Jesus loves us in this life. Second, Jesus loves us as we are. But third, and finally, Jesus also loves us to the end. 
having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Well, what does it mean that Jesus loves to the end? To the end of, of, of what? Well, to answer this question, we need to remember that the Gospel of John, where this verse is placed, is broken into two sections. It's divided into two chunks. In the first chunk, chapters 1 through 12, we learn about all that Jesus did in his life. Then in the second chunk, chapters 13 through 21, we learn about all that Jesus did in his death. Chapters 1 through 12 move very quickly and cover a lot of ground. Then chapters 13 through 21 shift into slow motion and just focus on the last week of his life here on earth. These two chunks then are divided by chapter 13 verse 1. By the verse that we're looking at this morning. It's a verse that it's in the middle. It's the transitional verse. It's the hinge from all that went before to all that will now follow. Now, of course, central to all that's going to follow this verse is the death of Jesus Christ. And we've reflected upon that together this week. That from Gethsemane to Golgotha, from the garden to the cross, there is a bloodstained path that takes us to his love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. On a Friday afternoon, the Friday afternoon of this weekend, Jesus bled and died, taking the punishment our sins deserve. And that sacrifice makes our worship come alive. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus wasn't done yet. His death is not the end, not the end of the book, not the end of his love, and not the end to which John here refers. Yes, Christ's love led him to die on the cross, and die he did, but he wasn't done yet. For him, death would be the gateway, the wardrobe through which he entered into Narnia. Through death would come life. Through crucifixion would come resurrection. He loved us to the end, we read, and the end was not his death. From there he kept on going, rising to life again. And that's what we're here to celebrate. We don't merely worship the one who lived and died. We worship the one who rose again and who now this morning with us is alive. That death was not the end of his story, Christ's story ends with life and that's the end that he'll love us to if we accept him here in time James came to understand this remember him, the disciple who thought he was so good well after a rocky start he had a better middle We learn from scripture that he was the first of the disciples who would be martyred for his faith. And we learn from church history some of the details of that case. Eusebius, the early church historian, passes on an account of James' death that came to him from Clement of Alexandria. He tells that the time came for James to go before the magistrate. And he was led by a nervous-looking guard uh, to, to the courtroom. There, 
James was accused of having faith in Jesus Christ, a crime punishable by death, and yet he did not back down. He testified to the accuracy of this charge. Sharing about his faith in Jesus, sharing about the life that he'd received through him, and sharing of his unwillingness to back down. Well, suddenly, halfway through, this guard who'd looked so nervous suddenly confessed that he too had faith in Jesus. And so the magistrate sent them both to their death. As they walked to be beheaded, the guard turned to James and asked for his forgiveness for the role that he'd played in in bringing him to this death. And we read that James pondered it for a while, (laughs) which seems fair enough, right? Before saying, peace be with you. And the two of them kissed before being beheaded. Now, why would they do this? Especially the one who could so easily have gotten away with it. Why would they do this? They would only do this if they believed that Jesus is alive. And if they remembered what he'd said, that whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And so willingly, they both knew that death would be but a moment. A moment through which they'd enter a better land where they could speak peace and kiss once more. They believed, and so they walked through that wardrobe. And so for us who believe in Jesus, that's our story too. That death, which is dark for a moment, will only be the gateway that opens up into the brilliance of eternity. And that there we'll meet with Jesus and all who've gone before and love and laugh and work and play because the resurrection's made it so. It's the end of those who have faith in him. Eternal life forevermore. If you haven't yet had faith in Jesus, this morning you can and this morning you must because there is no other way home. But you can come to him as you are this morning. Ask forgiveness and he'll receive you as his own. He'll love you in this life. He'll love you as you are. He'll love you to the end. John 13 verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Should this be Christ's epitaph? Well, it seems to fit the bill. But resolutely we answer no. Because Christ has no epitaph. Such words are for the dead, and Jesus is alive today, and that's our hope in death. Because he lives, we too will live, and he'll love us to that end. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, it's worthwhile for us to think on epitaphs and be confronted with the reality that one day we too will will die. But Lord, this morning that reality is no longer ultimate. It's swallowed up by a greater reality in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that he can not only love us in this life 
Not only love us as we are, but even love us to the end. Eternal life forevermore. Grant us the faith to believe as we give you worship and praise. In his risen name, amen.